Over the past number of weeks, uh, Pastor Richard and I have been focusing on the truth, this truth, work is good. We can also forget to affirm that, that all work has dignity. The practical application is it's up to us to do all of our work wherever we are as a service to the Lord. Our theme verse for this five-week period is Colossians 3.23. Uh, maybe some of you have that memorized, but let's just recite it with one another, and it's on the screen to help us as well so that we'll all have it memorized in the same translation and say it together here now. Let's read it. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. That's it. That's it. Do all your work as if you were working for the Lord, not for people, not for human masters. As you serve in your work, it's really Jesus that you're serving. So we have explored the truth that God gives us work, not as a punishment, but as a gift. Work is good. But today we want to talk about another truth now. It's this, work is difficult. Work is really hard, and you don't need a sermon to expound that idea, to prove that to you. You already know this through your own work experience. Many of you have jobs that include long hours, heavy or unrealistic workloads, demanding commute times, job insecurity, and conflicts with coworkers or with bosses. And for some of you, this ends up resulting in a drop or a decrease in work performance, anxiety, sleeping difficulties at night, and, at night, and just all-round stress that you carry with us. And the question is this, if work is supposed to be good, how did it get so difficult? And in order for us to understand how work is so difficult, we need to look to the early pages of Genesis once again. After a magnificent story of creation, the Bible fills us in on the entry of sin into the world. With disobedience and sin, we see its impact on the world, resulting in sickness, death, corruption, selfishness, natural disasters, chaos, a messy place. Mankind is placed in this beautiful garden, but God then informs them that if they disobey him and eat of a particular tree, they shall surely die. What was it that was so special about that one tree? Tim Keller observes that there was nothing likely magical about the tree or unusual about the tree or the fruit itself, but it was a test. It's like God was saying, I want you to do something for me, not because you understand why, not because you can see whether it will benefit you or not. I want you to obey me simply because of who I am. 
simply because you love me and you trust me more than anything. Now, is that not a lesson, a primary lesson of the Christian life? Lord, I trust you even though I don't understand. I follow you even though I don't understand. I'm ready to obey you even though I don't understand. That's a lesson for us too, isn't it? But Adam and Eve, they disobeyed. They put themselves in God's place. They took it upon themselves over what was right and wrong. But let's not be too hard on Adam and Eve. There is no evidence whatsoever that you or I would do any better. We are all affected by that cycle of sin as well. And we are all contributing to the cycle. Not only we are impacted by it, but we contribute to it as well. And we do need to understand two things. We need to understand God's creation is good. God's creation is so good so that I can say, and you can say of yourself, I have a stamp on my life that I am created in the image of God. This is a very good thing. We need to remember Genesis 1 to have that picture in our minds and say, this is good. In fact, I have that stamp of God's goodness on me. But we need to understand also Genesis 3 that we have this infection called sin that has come upon us. And that we need to say also, I am a desperate sinner who stands in need of a Savior. See, I think both of those ideas need to be held together. If we only focus on the one, we miss out on biblical truth. If we only focus on the other, we miss out on biblical truth. But it's only when we hold them together that we understand who we are. We will not be grounded in a healthy worldview, nor will we have a proper understanding of work if we do not hold both of those ideas together. We're trying to understand work, but but we need to understand Genesis 3 to understand work. Because how do we make sense of this word called sin? You'll hear it that word in the church, but less and less in culture around us. People might talk more often about sinfully delicious cupcakes. Um, but what is sin? Sin is disobedience. Sin is missing the mark. Sin is the destruction of community. Every time we sin, we destroy community a little more. Augustine, St. Augustine, not Augustine who spoke a little earlier, St. Augustine, he defines sin as a life turned in on oneself. It's a life where we live for ourselves rather than for God and for other people. So in chapter 3, Adam and Eve, they're ashamed. They're uncomfortable with themselves. In the heart of their being, and they start sewing clothes. It's not because it just got colder in the garden. 
but they're ashamed. And somehow in order for them to cover their shame, they start covering themselves. But, but really, it, it's, it's a whole image of, I have to hide myself from you. I'm just so ashamed. If you really knew who I was, you're not going to like me anymore. I, I have to, to conceal this and, and, and keep this from you. And, and Adam and Eve are now mistrusting each other and they're diverting their blame in another direction. They're unaware of the damage that they've caused and they simply try to redirect the reason for their problems. And when sin enters the world, things start falling apart. You know the results of sin in your own world, don't you? The effects of sin touch all of creation. And so much so that in Genesis 3 we discover that the two great tasks of life, love and work, are beautiful because God made them, but broken because sin has affected them. So in chapter 2, here we have it. Adam and Eve. One man. One woman enthralled in their relationship with each other, one of delight as they consider one another. Adam is reciting poetry, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, the first poem that was ever written, this delight. And then in chapter 3, when God asks Adam if he ate from the tree, you know, everything goes out the window. Yeah. Um, why did you eat that? Well, um, she gave it to me. <laughs> and then God goes to Eve, and Eve blames the serpent. No one takes responsibility. No one admits the truth. Human relationships beginning with the very most intimate of relationships, meaning marriage. The most intimate of relationships are affected by sin. It's interesting, isn't it? In Genesis 3, you will see that both childbearing and farming are both described in the same way. Painful labor. Same word. Both, both of those instances, it's painful labor. Sin impacts relationships and it impacts our work life. So God gives us the gift of work. God gave the gift of work. But now in Genesis 3.17, let's look at those verses. In verse 17, it is described how work is described as painful toil. We don't get the results that we want. We don't have the fulfillment that we long for. We don't have the joy of community that we wish for. All work will be marked by some kind of frustration. Look at the words that the author uses. Verse 17 then, painful toil. Verse 18, what's going on here? Thorns and thistles. Well, a mess wherever you are. Weeds growing in the garden. Weeds growing everywhere. And then verse 19, what's the description there? The sweat of your brow. This is going to be difficult. You're going to sweat while you do this. You're going to agonize with this as well. And then what's the last idea? Just a reminder, you're dust. You're dust as you're doing it. Wow. 
The world is now disorderly. The world is now exhausting as we try to do this. Having moved to um, our house here in Mississauga, now close to four years ago, uh, we have a little garden in our backyard. And after some careful tending, we still, even at the end of October, we still have a few tomatoes that we are tending, waiting to get a little more red before we pick them, before frost comes. And we have some green peppers that we're hoping will grow a little more. But, you know, it took no work at all to watch those weeds flourish. (laughs) Notice, work itself is not a curse. Work is not a curse, but work lies under the curse of sin. Tim Keller says this, I'm going to say it, and then I'm going to ask you to repeat this to somebody close to you. Here's a quote from Tim Keller. I I just thought this might edify you. You should expect to be regularly frustrated in your work. Why don't you just say that to, to the person you're sitting beside, eh? And then now you can conclude it with this thought. Even though you may be in exactly the right location. So say that as well. Has this experience ever been true for you? God's guiding you to this place. You may not be even in the perfect job, but it is the place that God has guided you right now. But you'll still be frustrated you will still find frustrations there. This is a Genesis 3 impact. If you have worked for a year or two or for a decade or two, many of you know what it's like to walk through a season of frustration in your workplace, whether it is short or long. You can attest to the biblical truth of thorns and thistles in the fields, conflict in the office, lack of productivity in the warehouse, and viruses in your computers. If this is true, if this is all true though, and we've examined now this Genesis 3 picture of work, if this is all true, then what hope is there for our work? To be sure, as a follower of Jesus, it means There are a few things I want to remind you of. First of all, we are convinced that there is a future day that we await when Christ will set all things right, including our work. We wait for a future day when Christ will set all things right. But even right now, not all is lost. In the meantime, we work. And we partner with God in His love and in his care for our world. We are partnering with him. We are co-workers with God. Our motives for our work are radically changed because we work as if we are serving Christ himself. Our work is now not just the kind of a task where we are rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. Even in the midst of where there may be great frustration, All of our work is literally done in the service of Christ. In the time that we have left this morning, let me suggest one way, just one way in which you can be an agent of change in your workplace. 
There is a discovery that I made um, just a few weeks ago, week two of our series when we were looking at the gospel at work. In our small groups, and some 200 of you are studying this in your groups, we uh, listed in Genesis 1 and 2 all the verbs of work that God did. And so we looked at words like God creates, God separates, God forms, God puts, God sets, God gives. We listed all of those words, all of those action words that God is doing in the, in the work of creation. But there was a word that I was surprised to think of God working when it says God blesses. That too was a part of his work. God blesses. And it's an important work word at the very beginning of creation. When God blesses, he shows that he is a relational God who desires good things for his creation. He blesses Adam with Eve. He blesses them with meaningful work. He blesses them with a delightful living space. God doesn't just put Adam in the garden and then say, you're on your own now. But we have this picture, and we know it, where God is walking with Adam and Eve in the garden. What a beautiful image that is of, of walking with God after the end of work day. I named a few more animals today. Oh, how was it? Tell me about it. A delightful relationship of God as God interacts with Adam and Eve. Perhaps, can you imagine that? Talking, how was your work day today? It was great. But even after rebellion against God, God seeks to give them good things. Through Abraham, God's great plan is still to bless all the nations of the earth. And in the book of Numbers, chapter 6, God still wants his people to be blessed. Think of these words of how um, the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. So they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. Isn't that something? God wants to bless you by turning his face toward you. It's as if God is saying, I have nothing else that I'd rather be doing right now. No place else in the world that I'd rather be except to turn my face toward you. I'm giving you my undivided attention. It's all yours. And I want to encourage you today. Sheila knows when I am present physically in the room with her, but not really present to her. Do any of you know what that's like? She knows when I am distracted. When I am distracted, let me tell you this, I am not really blessing her. But God's picture of blessing is a picture of him lavishing his delight on us. Imagine the shining face of a parent or a grandparent at their child's kinder, kindergarten graduation. 
And when you think of these verses, think of how God loves us and blesses us by paying attention to us. He turns his face towards us. Well, with little effort, we can turn our face toward anyone, including an aggravating work colleague. And we can give them our attention. And we can bless them. The New Testament tells us this. There is no one outside of the scope of God's blessing. Absolutely no one. Listen to Peter's words in 1 Peter 3. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. Are you tempted to respond to an insult with insult? On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Through Christ, the blessings lost can be restored. Galatians 3.13 tells us about this where we read, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Hmm. Read through Paul's thoughts in Galatians 3 and you will find out and you will see that through faith in Christ, even in a broken world, we can receive God's blessings. Do you ever talk with people and as you talk with them, they reflect on their problems and the more they talk about their problems, they start thinking that they're no good. And then they think this, maybe God is punishing me. I know that God might be out to get me for the bad things that I've done before and maybe it's just some curses that are coming my way. And they're tempted to think that their life is full of curses. But Jesus came to bless, not to curse. Will you choose to receive those blessings today? Receiving them, first of all, and then to say, I'm going to pass them on. Friends, does your heart leap to think of God's goodness and God's blessing that he has given to you? Do you have this job description firmly planted in your mind? Yes, I know when I go to my office, I know the action words that I must do. What are they? Lift, carry, type, answer, respond. What are those action verbs? But there is another action verb for you. You must carry this verb with you in your workplace. It's in Genesis 1 and it's a part of your work mandate as well. Wherever I am, whatever I do, My job is to be an agent of his blessing and to offer his blessing to someone else. One thing you know about your work is that there will be thorns and thistles. Unpaid work, paid work, the responsibilities and the tasks that God has given you today and you just say, this is hard work. This is frustrating work. But you can push back the weeds one more day. Push them back one more time and say, I'm going to be his messenger of blessing. 
are you ready to say to your work colleague, good job. Thanks for your help. I'm so grateful for you. You are God's love child. When you bless, simply put, you're saying good things. This past week I had a chance to connect with a student from my youth ministry days. I was excited to meet with him because I was a youth pastor for him a lot of years ago, and I had not sat down to connect with him for, say, about 20 years. The once awkward teenager was now a grown man who looked down at me in stature. What message should I leave with him? When we were getting ready to leave, I knew what I wanted to say. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you for the adversity that you have faced and that you're overcoming it. I'm proud of you for pursuing your career and not letting go of those dreams that you had. I'm proud of you for facing your addictions and dealing with them. And I'm glad that we can be friends. I wanted to bless him. Whether you bless people in words or gestures, in a solemn or an informal way, our lives need to be blessed lives. So now today, wherever you go, in your workplace or in your family, there will be frustration. It's going to be there. There may be people even that you don't want to bless. Bless them anyway. And there will be people that desperately need your good word in their lives. Because of Jesus, your words of blessing count. They will make a difference. Will you join together with me in prayer? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that even when we don't feel like we deserve a blessing, you give your words, your good words to us to say, you can still have hope today. You can do it. You're my loved child. Lord, help us to hear those words from you, we pray. And help us to offer you the praise in these moments. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.